for many of you to get here today, and I know the weather is crazy, and um, that may be affecting our turnout a little bit, but uh, I'm so glad to have you here. Just wanted to make a little uh, announcement, uh, housekeeping issue, uh, regarding next week. Uh, we've been, when, when Pastor Michael and I got together to plan this, um, we thought it was kind of unique in the fact that, you know, with theology, there would be a lot of information coming at you, and etc., uh, we thought we should have a little break. So next week we are going to take a pause, but uh, uh, Pastor Michael and uh, Pastor Ben will be here. And, and it's really kind of an open session. Um, we have some questions just in case you don't. But what we wanted to do was open it up to questions and discussion because right now we are planned through the New Year's, but the spring is, still has some options. And we wanted to hear your response. Now remember that after next week, the rabbis will be back. And in our, in our theological topic uh, for them is creation. Um, so, so that's coming. Um, but we'd like you to respond. Because we want to make the class again interesting. And, and we, we wanted to try and make this an applied theology type of an experience for you. And, and getting your response to the first part of the year is important. But also questions uh, are what we're looking for. So what I did was, I've had these out before. You can write questions on anything, but if you have to stick this in your purse or your pocket to remind you, please do. And if you can get them to the church office, to either Pastor Michael by email or even myself, I know most of you have had some communication from the church, get them there so that we can have those questions. Um, that would be great. Comments on the class are also welcome. Uh, please don't, don't be shy. <coughs> this is Dr. Lloyd's last week, and I'm always excited to see him and always sad when I think about it being the last week because he is one of our most unique teachers. And again, I just want to remind you that all the material that he's presented, he's done pretty much de novo, new. This is things that inspire him. And he shared with me how much he enjoys getting ready for these lectures, but I know it's a lot of work also. But he truly is a, a wonderful spirit, and I'm so delighted that we had him back this year. And uh, I hope that you express your appreciation to him also, because he is a blessing to us. Let's, let's open in prayer. Father God, we are truly grateful for the experience that we have in this class, so we are truly grateful for each other and for our teachers and in particular today for Keith Lloyd. We ask that you bless this time together. May you open our hearts to your Holy Spirit, to what it is we should hear. And as always, we ask for the blessing on our instructor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hello, how's everyone doing? <laughs> it is... It's a bit blustery, isn't it? It's like Winnie the Pooh out there. In the blustery day. All right. So, I entitled this whole thing a journey. And in some ways, we've been going backwards. <clears throat> so this week, I wanted to look at evidence for the historical Jesus. And there are reasons why I wanted to do that, based in the theme that I set up at the beginning. Three kinds of authority. Y'all remember what they are? 
self-proclaimed, you can say, I am the authority. <laughs> it confers, someone else says, this is your authority. And earned, which I think we all agreed from week one, is the best way to have authority. Because if it's conferred, people can always question that. And if you express it yourself, they'll definitely question that. But if it's earned, most people will not question your authority. They'll do what you ask them to do. True? This is the kind of thing that you want to have happen as a parent, for instance, or as a teacher. That when I come into the class, I'm sort of self-proclaiming. In fact, I'm called a professor. <laughs> That's what I do for a living is profess. So I walk into the class that way, and they know it's conferred because I've been assigned that class by the powers that be, right? But what I want is eventually for them to see that I earn their respect. And I think as a parent, you want the same kind of thing. Because we all know the first two don't work with kids, do they? Do this because I say so only lasts so long. <laughs> and it can kind of create rebellion, and I talked about that. It can create a problem with authority when you get authoritative. Yes, dictative. Okay, so... There is another kind of self-proclaimed authority, and that is, you know, so self-proclaimed is the weakest, but as they say, some things speak for themselves, facts speak for themselves, and they are actually a self-proclaimed authority. Yes, sometimes they're conferred because people say these are the facts. Yes, and sometimes they're definitely earned because you found the facts yourself, but there is an element of them that is self-proclamatory. You can't argue with the fact that something has happened or didn't happen or someone exists or doesn't exist. You can't argue with that, can you? You can't say Aristotle never lived. There's just too much evidence that Aristotle did live. Yes? They do. They do, because unfortunately facts speak for themselves, but they say different things to different people. <laughs> But I'm not buying that. I don't believe there are alternative facts. I believe that there are alternative interpretations of facts, but you can't deny when something has happened or not happened. Yes? Or if something is recorded, it's just there. Now, recordings can be manipulated. I understand all that. But I still believe there's a reality out here, and you can't deny reality. As I tell my students, I can argue with facts, but sooner or later, when you fall you hit the ground because you can't argue with gravity. There are certain facts of life, yes, that we're breathing air, that we need water. Facts. Okay, so I believe there are facts. So what are the facts referring to the historical Jesus? Good question. First of all, there is no archaeological evidence whatsoever. By that I mean... For most figures in history, we have references um, in stone or in uh, inscriptions, uh, busts, paintings. Yes, we have something tangible. Uh, something carved, literally carved in stone. <laughs> um, and as you know, uh, Paul and the Gospels are all written later, so those are not first-hand accounts. We have nothing. There are no coins with Jesus' picture on them. No image was ever made of him. We know that's frustrating for all of us because I think all of us are a little curious as to what Jesus might have looked like. 
Okay. But the justification for this is he was a peasant, and peasants don't leave archaeological trails. Most of the world has lived and died without anyone noticing. Okay. The reality is we don't have archaeological records for virtually anyone who lived in Jesus' time and place. And there is some truth in this. This is sort of the yes. Remember, I'm looking at the yes and the no. This is a very yes perspective. Uh, and there's reason to believe that because even for like Pontius Pilate, a significant figure in the story of Jesus, we know for sure evidence of his existence. We have images of him from the time. We have records of him from the time. But it's scant. It's very scant. We don't have very much information about even Pontius Pilate. Okay. So evidence that archaeological evidence lacking doesn't mean someone didn't exist. All right. So a lot of this is kind of an argument from nothing. Not making any sense? If something isn't there, that doesn't mean it wasn't there. <laughs> yes? So the archaeological record does not indicate the presence of the person we know as Jesus. Doesn't mean it didn't happen. Because there's a lack of records for a lot of things in the ancient world. It's a wonder we know as much as we do. Okay, we do have some records. Let's take a look. So, Flavius Josephus wrote one of the earliest non-biblical accounts of Jesus. Okay, now that's misleading. It's not really an account. He mentions Jesus. <clears throat> He's a first century Jewish historian. He's far away our best source of information about the first century Palestine. Twice mentions Jesus in Jewish antiquities. His massive 20-volume history of the Jewish people written around 93 AD. In fact, the whole idea of recording history is born at this time with figures like him, trying to actually accurately report the history of a people or a nation. The problem is, um, at this time, it was also customary to create a history that looked good for you. Right? So the early histories of Rome certainly didn't make Rome look like a bunch of clowns. You know, They definitely jazzed it up a little bit. Like Romulus and Remus being fed by a wolf and starting the city, is that the history? <laughs> All right. He was thought to have been born a few years after the crucifixion of Jesus, around 37 AD. He was a well-connected aristocrat, a military leader in Palestine, served as commander in Galilee during the first Jewish revolt against Rome, 66 to 70 AD. And as we know, uh, Jerusalem was completely destroyed. That doesn't help our archaeological record either, does it? Okay. Josephus was not a follower of Jesus. Um, he was around when the early church was getting started, so he knew people who had heard and seen Jesus, or at least claimed to have heard and seen Jesus. So what did he say? He has two passages. One of them is that he recounts an unlawful execution, and the execution is of a particular person, James, the brother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. He doesn't comment on that or say, I believe that, and he doesn't. He's not a convert. He's not a Christian. He remained a Jew. But he mentions that, and that's pretty telling, but you see what I mean. If someone had a brother, then I guess they had to have existed, but we only have an account that this was the brother. And there's some debate as to whether this meant brother of the Lord. Originally, what was said, brother of the Lord, 
which meant that he was simply um, an avid dis- disciple of God, or did it mean that he was the brother of James? There's some argument about what exactly his phrase meant. But the other one is a more debated passage, and I'll just show it to you. That's a, kind of a summary of it. Here's the one, James the Just. Here's the actual quote. Ananus convened the judges of the Sanhedrin and brought before them a man named James, the brother of Jesus, who was called the Christ, and certain others. He accused them of having transgressed the law and delivered them up to be stoned. Most people don't question that this was actually a part of of his original account. So that's intriguing, is it not? It's problematic for the Catholic Church who said that he didn't have brothers and sisters, but it's not a big problem for the Protestant church that said, it says he has brothers and sisters in the Bible. <laughs> they came and said, you're crazy, you need to come home. Right? Do you remember that part? Okay. So it's admitted uh, that this, even by the critics, admit that this doesn't seem to be added to the text or tampered with. That this seems to be... Um, and we also know that James the Just, the first century character... We have good reason to believe he existed. He's mentioned in other historical accounts. James the Just. Okay. And, fun fact from another lecture that you should have been here for if you weren't. James is likely the author of the book of James. James the Just. He's attributed to that book. And he's attributed that book mostly on the basis that if you read that and the Sermon on the Mount at the same time, sit them side by side, it is almost an exact sermon on the Sermon on the Mount. It's really uncannily close. So they're saying, that's good evidence that the brother of Jesus knew the Sermon on the Mount and did a homily on it called the Book of James. So, you got a brother that may or may not be him. (laughs) What else we got? Here's the debated passage. And the reason this is debated because it makes it sound like Josephus is a convert. And we know from his history of his life, he was not. In fact, he was against Christians. He remained a faithful Jew, and he didn't uh, think Christianity was a viable option. All right. So this is what it says now. About this time there lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man. For he was one who wrought uprising feats, Surprising feats, and was a teacher of of such people as accept the truth gladly. He won over many Jews and many Greeks. He was the Messiah. When Pilate, upon hearing him accused by men of the highest standing among us, had condemned him to be crucified, those who had in the first place come to love him did not give up their affection for him. On the third day he appeared to them, restored to life, for the prophets of God who prophesied these and countless other marvelous things about him, and the tribe of other Christians so-called after him has still to this day not disappeared." Does that look suspect to you? It's almost like the Apostles' Creed, isn't it? It's pretty close. So there's a lot of reason to doubt that this was originally in the document. One of the reasons that they doubt it the most is because stylistically it doesn't fit. It's, got, it's a different voice, different writing style, different wording. Um, and we also know this. Joseph was not convinced by this uh, and... Uh, He did not believe in Jesus as Messiah. And we also have, remember from last week, Clement of Alexandria, we have no, none of the church fathers quote Josephus. And they would have, 
if this pass if they had known this passage, right? And they should have known this passage. This history was widespread. So there's reason to doubt that he actually wrote it. He might have written something about, you know, most people say he might have made a mention of Jesus and Pilate. All right, so what does the Talmud say? Anybody know what the Talmud is? It actually says up there, but it's the oral traditions in Judaism. So it'd be interesting if they mention Jesus. They don't. They do mention two people named Jesus. Jesus ben Pandira, a reputed wonder worker, said to have been stoned to death and hung on a tree on the eve of Passover in the reign of Alexander Janius, 106 to 79 at Jerusalem. And they mention Jesus ben Stada, whose date is uncertain, but lived in the third of in the first third of the second century, said to have been stoned and hanged on the eve of Passover, but at Lydda. So they mentioned two other Jesuses, intriguingly. Okay. So what we have evidence of so far is that at least they know of Christianity and they're kind of repeating what they've been told about Christianity. Does that make sense? But the thing about Josephus being a convert, highly suspect. All right. How about Roman records? Anybody wondering about Roman records? <laughs> Jewish records, we're not finding much. All right, so here we go. Roman records. Tacitus, one of the first historians, in fact, if you study history, they'll say Tacitus was one of the first historians on the planet in terms of trying to create an objective history the way we do now. Still a little decorated, but is it now? I think, too. Most books of history are probably a little slanted. All right. He wrote something called The Annals of Imperial Rome, a first century history of the Roman Empire. He wrote it about 116 AD. He was a senator in Rome. He chronicled the burning of Rome in 64, and this is what he says. The persons commonly called Christians who were hated for their enormities, Christus, the founder of the name, was put to death by Pontius Pilate, procurator of Judea in the reign of Tiberius. All right, we're getting closer now, aren't we? It looks like it, but then again, you're like, uh, no, we're not, because this is a report. You know what I'm saying? He didn't say, I verified for a fact that this is what happened. He just says, this is what they claim. Do you see it? The Christians claim, and in fact, there's reason to doubt this a little bit. Um, for one thing, he calls Jesus Christus, which means he didn't really get the account straight because that's not his name, right? That, and, and then if you're looking at historical record, would, would Jesus be called Christus? All right. Now, this is from, this is a yes view of all of that. Just about everything he says coincides from a completely different point of view by a Roman author disdainful of Christians and their superstition with what the New Testament itself says. Jesus was executed by the governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate, for crimes against the state. So at least we have a historian recording this. Yes? And that's not bad. That's a step. All right. And their claim is if he didn't consider it reliable, he wouldn't have put it in his history. That makes sense to me as well. All right. The no perspective, as I pointed out, is he just repeating what Christians told him? 
He names Pilate as procurator when his title was prefect. He uses the title Christ as, the type, as his title. He was glad to accept from Christians their own view that Christianity was of recent origin because in his view and in the Roman view, you could be a worshiper of a religion if it were ancient. But if it were a new religion, you couldn't. Does that make sense? So for him to testify that this was a fairly new religion actually would make them enemies of the Roman state. That all makes sense? <laughs> well, we know how well it went, didn't they? They got kicked out of Rome in the early history. So did the Jews. And some say because they were fighting <laughs> with Christians. All right, so, and you see in the book of Acts, the Jews get kicked out of Rome at one point for being rebellious and not adhering to the, the Roman gods. All right. So there's the other problem. Clement of Alexandria doesn't mention the Roman account. Tertullian doesn't mention it. And those were early historians of the Christian church. Any more references from Romans? Anybody curious? Sure, sure why not? <laughs> Plenty the Younger. He noted that early Christians sing hymns to Christ as God. Well, we have evidence that Christianity existed. Thank you for that. So, but there's a mention. Suetonius, also one of the first historians uh, recognized in the, in the history, said that the Jews from Rome were making constant disturbances at the instigation of Crestus. So this seems to be a reference to Christians in Rome getting thrown out, like I just said. So the yes view says it's useful for realizing that Jesus was known by historians who had reason to look into the matter. No one thought he was made up. Nobody said that. And we've got an either or. Are they just repeating what they've heard, but at the same time, they're historians. So why would they repeat something they didn't feel like was fairly certain historically? So we've got a little bit of both. All right. Now, one of the things that I'm trying to do in this talk is to look at the no because I don't think it's ever a good idea to be surprised by the no. Like you say, I believe in this, and somebody goes, well, what about that? And you're like, I didn't know that. <laughs> then you look like a dope. So, which, is, which is why I kind of, when you said it during the interruption, I almost went there. I almost went there. In fact, this morning I thought, man, I'm just, I'm staying right in the early history. But it, uh, if I did a fourth talk, it might be like that. Okay. Are, are these things evidence? And that's a pretty good one. It's, it's at least really intriguing. But, um, I mean, if you have something that exists and there's no way that people could have made it at the time, that is freaking intriguing, isn't it? <laughs> But at the same time, it always seems like there's this mystery right at the middle of everything. And we'll, we'll keep looking at it. And maybe that's for a good reason. I don't know. But the no view says, look at all these historians and writers from the time period who didn't mention him at all. Just want to let you know, 
that's out there. And a lot of people find that convincing. It's an argument from silence, yes? And as we all know, arguments from silence aren't arguments, right? Because something is not said about something, it doesn't mean it didn't happen. That's why I began with that. But somebody, some of those could have a reason. I would, I know, and if you go back and you look at these people, these are uh, mostly Roman or uh, Greek-influenced writers. The church was an early, early thing. They wouldn't have been paying attention to it. Right, so like you say, they might have good reason. Not to mention, um, well, you'd have to look at each one of them and look and see what what was it that they did write about. What were they concerned about? Yeah, I'll come back. All right, so where are we on our journey? <laughs> you have to stay with the whole journey here. Don't give up on me too early. All right, we have references to Jesus. As you saw, very sparse, very debated, and very limited. But they, and they only show that people believed Jesus to have existed. Now, that's about enough evidence sometimes to know that somebody lived, isn't it? People believe they did, even if there's no record. It's shakier than if you had the record. Wouldn't you love to have the record? I would. And maybe someday somebody will dig something up or they'll find some cave somewhere and uh, things will be different. But for right now, no. And the problem is none of these references say anything else about the gospel narrative, right? You notice that. Nothing about his miracle working, exorcisms, his parables. It's all just... He was there, <laughs> and he was crucified, and, and maybe there's some reference to that he, they believed he was resurrected. We have actual evidence, though, strangely enough, for his brother, or at least the person that could be his brother. I like to think that James was. When I read the book of James, I'm just like, this book is just so tight with, with that sermon. I want to believe it. What about the scriptures? Do we have any extant documents that come from the time of Jesus? Let's just circle back and see, do we have anything that old actually that you can look in, our, in your hands and see? Okay, we do have this. Papyrus 66, do you all know about this? Pretty exciting stuff. Near complete codex of the Gospel of John. If you were here the other weeks, you know that's bizarre because John was the one that was the last gospel to have been written and the last to be recognized, and some of the early church fathers don't know about it at all, right? So it's ironic that the oldest scripture that we have is John. All right, it's one of the oldest well-preserved New Testament manuscripts from around 200, possibly. Is that crazy or what? It's not as close as I'd like. I'd like the day after, you know, somebody <laughs> sat down and wrote an account. <laughs> we don't get that, but this isn't bad. All right. It also gets dated a little part, uh, the earlier middle part of the second century, but not bad. What about it? Now, here's the kick in the head. It's different. 
than John now. It doesn't include the adulteress, right, who, the woman at the well, right? All right, I guess that the adulteress would be the uh, writing on the ground one, yeah. Um, the 66 had the work of three individuals in it, a thoroughgoing corrector and a minor corrector. So, as you've seen as we walk through this, the Gospels have evidence of being redacted over time. They just do. Because when we look, and the reason we know that is because we can find these earlier documents, and they're not the same. Parts are left out, parts are different. All right, so another scholar argues that with the possible exception of John 13, 19, the corrections are by hand of the original copyist. So he believes that there was only one editor, but there was an editor. All right, there's Codex Sinaiticus. All right, so it is partially, um, it's, a, it's a whole Bible, and it's from about the time of Constantine the Great. So we're still talking up like 400s. But this is the whole Bible. And again, what do we find? Different versions of Scripture from later editions of the Bible. Notably, St. Mark's ends 12 verses before the later versions. You've heard me talk about this. We, we know that because of these kinds of things, that the Gospel of Mark ended earlier, and that part of it was added on. Okay, so what do we, what, what's this mean? That means we can go back and we can find these scriptures, but that means that we have evidence that over time, the Gospels that we now have were added to and changed. Okay, so this is what the writer says who we're looking at. It's a window into the development of early Christianity. Notice he uses that word. Christianity didn't come out as one big thing, right? It developed. And that should be clear from everything I've been talking about, that these books were written over time. They were redacted a bit, codified, put into a canon. So we have evidence that they existed in early forms, but we don't know if those forms are exactly the ones that came to us. And when we do find very old documents, we find that they're different, so we know we didn't get them exactly. But that's a heavy expectation anyway, isn't it? That something written that long ago would be exact over time. All right, so a fourth scribe worked with the three already recognized on the text. So they believed before that um, the Gospel of Mark was written by different scribes. Now they believe there's a fourth. So part of you is, is thinking, how do they know this stuff? Well, that's how they know this stuff. You go back and you find an earlier document and it doesn't match. Then you have to go, okay, what happened? This later one has this, this one doesn't. Or we have two of them at the same time, and one of them blocks it, one of them doesn't. And you've got to figure out what was there and what was not. All right, so let's, let's sum up. Hey, I'm actually early for a change. Yeah, thank, thank you, Dr. Loy. But it's a long summary, so that was sort of a good and bad. All right, in case you weren't here, first week, talked about authority and how the best authority is personal experience. And then we looked at the statistics, and we found out most people don't read the Bible. And what they do know about it was told to them, read from a pulpit, or someone said it to them. I'm like, well, that's depressing. <laughs> so the best way is to learn for it by first-hand experience. We're failing. We're not doing very well. The vast majority of people have not read the whole Bible. 
Yes? And it was, that, so that was the first week. So what we found is there are people who believe in the authority of Scripture because we're told to or because we unreflectively accept that the Bible is authoritative just because it says so in the Bible, which, as I pointed out, pretty circular reasoning, is it not? Okay. And as I concluded, much of the Bible can be tested experientially, but the histories and testimonies involve another level of trust, right? So I can live by the Sermon on the Mount, right? I can believe that and it can activate in my life. But to believe that Jesus spoke the Sermon on the Mount, that's a different level of trust, isn't it? So they could just be helpful words or they could be the words of the ultimate authority. There you go. I hang on to James too. I like this James guy because we know that he existed. There are records of this guy. Okay. Week two, when did I say? Still talked about the same approach of authority. The early church fathers believed the three of the Gospels were the writings of those who were not witnesses to the life of Jesus, but the memories of those. So we looked at the people talking about people that had actually met these people. Am I making any sense? We looked at the first hand account of somebody talking about why Mark wrote the Gospel. That he knew Peter and that the church asked him to write his memories of that. But the exact thing that it said was he wrote it down to the best of his memory and he did not attempt in any way to make a historical account. Very interesting that the early church tells us that. Okay, and Mark was the first and then Luke and Matthew borrow from Mark. So it's good to look at the first one. Okay. The Gospel of John seems more legendary, and, and we looked at that too. The first mentions of John as the writer of John. Remember the one? It was from like 167 AD, like, and they're acting like John's still around. Like, okay, he's a really long lived man. <laughs> so it, it seems that he's already become, I, I think it's John Bodeicus. Have you ever heard of that? The idea that John, because Jesus said that John would not see death before, that he's still here. He's still walking around somewhere. If he is, I want to meet that guy. <laughs> you were there, man. Tell us. All right, so the earliest record associates John Mark from Acts with the Gospel, also with Peter. That record indicates the author was not making an attempt to relate an accurate historical narrative. It just said he did his best to remember what Peter had told him. And remember, I showed you Peter's reaction. He was indifferent. You remember that? He was like, I, I don't care. <laughs> You'd think he'd be like, yes, this testimony will live on. And he was more like, I, you know, I'm just one guy. He took it very humbly, didn't he? Like, who am I? All right, since Matthew and Luke are drawn from Mark, their narrative are not direct histories either, but tellings related to their perspective, respective Jewish. So Matthew geared it toward his audience of Jews and Luke toward his audience of Gentiles. And we have the best evidence for Luke being the author of Luke because of Luke and Acts. All right, their different emphases were lauded by Irenaeus, who was responsible for identifying the four Gospels. All right, so, wait, I had something else there. John's Gospel differs from the other three significantly. It was chosen by Irenaeus because it depicts Christ as he'd come to believe him to be the great philosopher. All right, so 
We still haven't made it to this week. <laughs> All right, in the early church, just to sum up, they depended on a general portrait of Jesus in each gospel. You know, does this fit with who we think Jesus is according to our experience? And we talked a lot about this, historical provenance. That was the thing that was most convincing to them. Can we trace this to someone who knew someone? We can't trace any of them to a first-hand account, but we can at least trace them to people who talked to people who knew people. The church authorities recognized the purpose of the gospel writers and did not demand historical accuracy. They saw that these were written for different purposes and they had no problem with them being different because of that. That's pretty handy if someone goes like, how do you explain the difference between the gospels? They had different purposes. And the early church refers to John's gospel as a spiritual gospel. So kind of setting up that it is definitely not supposed to be a historical narrative, but kind of a spiritual God. I don't know how to explain it other than that. Kind of a otherworldly explanation of who Jesus was. All right, so I find this very modern. Don't you? Very modern. It's like... Um, these aren't histories, these are perspectives. They're based in first-hand experience, quotations, but they're set up in narratives according to the writer and what the writer was trying to do and who the writer was trying to, to tell, to meet. That makes sense. As a writer, I'm like, well, that makes a lot of sense. And I don't think that that denigrates their possible authority. All right. This week, <laughs> is history any help? Not much. <laughs> it's not much help, is it? The narrative is very, very thin. The church fathers chose the scriptures we know as authority because they had the right provenance, because it fit with developing ideas of who Jesus is. So same three options to wait for us. Believe because the authority tells us to. Believe because human authorities tell us to. Or believe because we've experienced something. So, week three. No records from the time of Jesus. Later mentions offer some evidence that people believed he existed. That's about as far as we can go. We have stronger evidence for the execution of James, Jesus' brother, from Jesus himself. Historical records we seem to have been manipulated by well-meaning Christians, and I'm sorry, I just, I'm a historian, and I have to look at it and go like, hmm, if this doesn't fit stylistically, and this person never became a believer in Jesus, and they say they're a believer in Jesus, there, something happened. Right? As a historian, I have to say that. The early church fathers do not mention the scant historical records we now have, which is more evidence that they probably didn't originally say what they're recorded as saying. Some of it. So what do we got? Hints that he lived and died. Yeah. You mentioned no archaeological No. Exactly. That's the difference. Yeah. Well, just as an example, Shakespeare lived in the late 1500s, right? We don't have a whole lot of evidence that he existed. So, 
history is not the best keeper <laughs> or the most telling way to understand something. But I did want to look at this because I think some of the arguments against Christianity are made on the basis of this scant history. So I think we should know about it and understand because it's missing doesn't mean it didn't happen. Yeah. a scuffle and then somebody said and somebody said and somebody yeah. said and then you're kind of like what did I really see <laughs> nothing that I could relate and say oh that's factual because uh, except that he tried to get out the door he did leave the stand I mean yes. it just it was all happening too fast so when you have 10 people watching one incident it sounds different it's going to be different whoever tells it and for what purpose they tell it Right. We know that really well, right. living in this implicit environment. And what filter did they see it through? What so. filter did they see it through? Right. That's exactly what's happening. Yeah. Wait, you said something, though. Um, one thing I do hang on to, now, the, the disciples themselves, as, as you know, were not, mostly not educated people, right? Matthew would have been probably the best educated because <clears throat> he was a tax collector. He would have been literate. He would have been highly educated. Okay, but... For everybody else, they weren't really. But one of the things that they could do at that time is they could listen to someone and repeat it back. They could remember, because they didn't have writing. They didn't have ways to take notes, right? In fact, everything we know about Aristotle is from his student notes. All of his books, student notes. And we all know that Socrates doesn't, wasn't written down at all, but who wrote it down? Plato, right? And they think Plato kind of made it all up. They used him as a character. But do you see what I'm saying? Um, so I would trust someone in the ancient world to remember something before I'd trust somebody who's got an iPhone. Because we just don't have to remember anymore. One of the things Plato says about writing that frightened him is that we wouldn't have to remember anymore. Right? We just put it in writing and I'll just move on. And that's kind of what happens, isn't it? I get to where if I don't know something, I just go back to the internet. At one time, I would have had to have known that. I'm a little scared sometimes about some of the students who, I, and this is why they stress so much about taking their, their dissertation exams. It's, they have to remember it. They have to go into a room for two hours with no internet <laughs> and remember the titles to the books, what each person said, what was their perspective. How did that change the history of what they're talking about? They have to know all that stuff. So people back then, and uh, if you want to know more about that, they actually had uh, a technique that uh, you listen to someone and you uh, put what they're saying in a room. So the first thing they say, whatever it reminds you of, you put an object in that room that reminds you of that thing. And then you keep doing that, and then you can just go back through the room. Isn't that cool? <laughs> It really works, too. If you bother to do it, it's, it's fantastic. This guy named Longinus wrote it down. Thank you, Longinus, for writing down how people memorized back then. <laughs> Don't walk in your sleep. <laughs> All right, let's, keep, let's finish out here. The early extent pieces of New Testament indicate that the gospel accounts were rewritten over time. So it's just the way it is. Okay, so what do we got? What is that a picture of? 
What did I just tell you? A good way to remember something. Pictures. All right. The eye of the storm. We have historical references from the Jews and from the Romans that indicate the people believed Jesus to have existed. We have records that may refer to his brother James and even records of other men named Jesus who were executed for their abilities and their beliefs. We have testimonies and records from the church fathers indicating providence for the Gospels, testimonies of people who claim to have known the apostles. We have the letters of Saul of Tarsus, which show almost no overlap with the Gospel accounts, which is disappointing because we could have looked to him for some verification for some of this. And we have 2,000 years of historical movement based in Jesus' teaching. So what are we, what, why is my, what's my point? It's, there's a hurricane of stuff, but right in the middle is nothing. It's one of the most interesting things about the storms, right? The people are just going through this terrible storm, and then all of a sudden it's just beautiful. They're in the eye of the storm. And if you didn't know that, you'd think, oh, well, it's, it's over. You, no, you're halfway. <laughs> so if we look at the very center, what's missing? Jesus himself, Right? And I think that's really incredibly intriguing, isn't it? We have all this history around him, and then nothing. Isn't that intriguing? It can be intriguing. And you could use an argument from silence to say, I don't think he was ever there. Or you could say, huh. Huh. (laughs) Maybe if there were a historical record, it wouldn't be called faith. You know what I'm saying? Now, that's a cheap shot because I don't know why there's a lack of historical record. But I do know if there is a lack of historical record, it takes faith to believe that he was there. And we're back to the best authority is where? Yeah, inside of you. All right, so I couldn't help but think of this passage to keep in mind in this context. Then God said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. He's speaking to Elijah in 1 Kings. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was, what's it say? Not in the wind. I love this passage. First time I read it, I thought, this is amazing. I can't believe this is actually in a book. After the wind and earthquake, but the Lord, come on, tell me. Not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake of fire, but... Excellent literary and poetic device. Three things, right? Earth, wind, and fire almost. Like now I'm singing September in my head. Right? But I love that part. High wind, but God was not in the wind. Earthquake, but... You see what I'm saying? Big storm. <laughs> and then what? How's it end? After the fire, is still a small voice. I'm like, wow. That's cool, isn't it? We want God to be in all this big stuff, right? We want all that testimony to be like we want the Romans to have written down every word. We want the Jews to have fastidiously kept records. It's all missing. That's the difference, isn't it? In the center of the storm. All right, yes. I'm done. Thank you.
that was kind of my point. <laughs> that was kind of my point. That if you've had experience in here, it doesn't matter what I just said. In terms of, yeah, you're a plant. That was important. We have to make a decision ourselves, right? We can't just cop out and go like, well, there's historical proof. That would be great, but we don't have it. So what do we have? Faith. And that somehow it adds up, just like the early church fathers. It adds up. What yeah. you just said is inside of each one of us. I said us, but that's a different Inside each one of us. Yes. To me, when, when the, uh, so lots of times when you, we are being spoken to, we do actually hook up, unite, say, oh, yeah, that's what, and, and you do start to say, wait a minute, that's more what I meant, or that's more what is right, or that's more what we yes. should do for the benefit of whatever. I, you know, it depends what the problem, solution, all that, but the thing inside of us also relates to the same thing inside of, and they call Everybody that, they call that now universality, universal, yes. I can't say it, forget it, you say it, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Universality. Exactly, if you look at all the writings that we do have, it's all about that, isn't it? That this person, whether I met them in face or not, whether I met them by tradition or by reading or by interaction with other people and talking with other people, whatever way, it fit. Right? That was the ultimate test all the way through. Right? Why did Mark follow Peter? Why did Peter follow Jesus? He spoke to them, right? They made that decision. Yeah. Perhaps Jesus had to leave, otherwise we would have worshipped the human. Yes. And we needed, he needed to leave that space. Maybe just that, we're the, talking about. that that hole. Yeah. Because, yeah, no, no image, we, no description. We want to worship something we can touch and see. Yeah. We don't get that option. Idols. <laughs> we don't get that option. Anything else? Any other comments? It's been a joy being here. I really enjoyed this journey. This is my last time for this year, I think. I know, I miss you guys too. I'm, I'm not good at quoting scripture, so either you or Greg can help me here, but this class is theology and how we study and get to know God. And we are told in the scriptures, right, that he'll, he'll write them on our hearts. And I think every one of the comments I heard, and I think Keith's conclusion is just that, that we don't have to rely on the what was handed down to Moses because he writes it in our hearts and that's how it continues on. And, and I think the conclusion that we came to today can be relied upon because we were told that that is part of the patterns and principles I think that God has told us through his scriptures that he would do and has done. And I think we all came to that same conclusion in a great way. So we, uh, just a reminder that if you can get questions to us for next week or comments or things you want to talk about or things you'd like to hear as we go forward, please get to me or Pastor Michael sometime today or this week. And I uh, look forward to you all coming back next week with your thinking hats on and ideas that you want to discuss. Next week is, I announced it earlier, I'm sorry, and I'll, I'll announce it again. Next week is a, is a little break from 
handing you information and allowing you to react to the book that we suggested or the classes that we've had so far or the things we'd like uh, to, you'd like to hear us talk about as we go forward or any questions that you have from what's already been presented. So it's kind of a open, uh, and Pastor Mike's gonna be here, Michael, and uh, Pastor Ben uh, to help us with that. And you know, sort of as a class moderator, I'll be here to kind of help direct where we go after the new year, because we're, we're planned through the new year. The next uh, topic is creation, and we're gonna hear that from the rabbis. Next week is kind of a, <laughs> next week's a question and answer and discussion. Yeah, we talked about that. Yeah. And there's been races and accidents and wind and everything today. With the scripture thing, it, I like the way you ended the authority of scriptures and down there you have a still small voice mm -hmm. and, and that's pretty cool with that. I think that we all are together with that still small voice, I think that's when the love. That's when is, things happen. That's when things, the miracles happen, I yeah, guess I want to. I, I believe that. So you're really not doing anything. All, all of us believe here believe. <laughs> you're just reinforcing it. I'm saying if we're not ready for these kind of arguments that can really take us sideways, yeah. someone comes up to you and goes like, there's no evidence at all that Jesus ever existed, that can be a little disconcerting no matter how long you've been a believer. And if you've already looked at it and gone like, yeah, I've looked directly at that. I know that there's a lack of evidence. That's different than to go like, wow, I, I don't know how to respond to that. So I think it's always a good idea to look at the harshest criticisms. The positive view, I looked at both, right? I looked at the yes and the no. And, 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 and find your way through that. Otherwise, somebody could get uh, really thrown off balance. So. What part do you think the Old Testament plays in our belief that Christ lived and died? Because if you look at it from the beginning, it's this, this ongoing everything in the Old Testament. I mean, it's quoted in the New Testament and it's uh, uh, historical and it leads us to Christ and that's a whole different talk. <laughs> it's a whole different class. <laughs> it's also debated um, because one of the things I do in uh, teaching the, the Bible as literature is I insist that we call the Old Testament the Hebrew Bible because it was a Jewish book first. And we try to read it as Jews would read it. And then when we get to the New Testament, we go back and say, this is the way Christians interpreted it. But obviously, um, Jews, a lot of Jews didn't agree. So um, I think it's important to respect the book as it is as a Jewish book, but at the same time recognize that Christians see this as kind of a story from the very beginning of it, a prediction of Jesus. So both things happened. So that would be kind of my yes, or, yes and no. <laughs> you know, what's the no view? What's the yes view? On that, yeah. Remembering the Jews have uh, 600 rules on how to keep 10 commandments, and Jews fight about there's, not more, there's more than 10. There's 13, there's 12, and so it's kind of like, and that's going on today right now. Yeah. And that same Jew, Jewish rabbi will say, but it's a mystery. 
Well, I'll, I'll go to the, the next sessions with the rabbis. <laughs> You're talking about the, old, the question about the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. Jesus taught from the Hebrew Bible. So can we understand Christianity unless we really understand the Hebrew Bible? Because we don't understand the Hebrew Bible, how can we understand what he taught? I almost went there, but it was just too complicated to do in three weeks. <laughs> the, but the whole, the whole idea, um, and I've talked on this before in some of my previous things, that we need to recognize that Jesus was a rabbi. That's what they called him, Rabbi. And uh, the teacher... And he was deeply schooled in Pharisee Jewish beliefs. And everything he says is completely consistent with the history of the Talmud. And the, um, so I think unless we understand that he was a Jew and very much a thoughtful rabbi who was taking on the Sanhedrin and the um, it, the hypocrites in, in really all of those environments, but he was a Pharisee, he, you know, in terms of his perspective, because Pharisees believe that the scripture has to be interpreted and updated, and you see that over and over with Jesus. This, you've heard it said, but I say. You've heard it said, but I say. And they're like, wow, he has authority, which is where I began this talk. So unless we understand that, yes, that he has a deep relationship with the Hebrew Bible and with Jewish tradition, and I don't think we really understand who Jesus is. He never went to church, as they say. <laughs> he was a Jew. It's so, you know, that's inarguable. And, and he, if you look at the traditions, he was very much in line with the best of Jewish thought at the time. And the best of Jewish thought would have questioned the same things he was questioning. You know, hypocrisy. But, you know, nothing new about that, is it? You showed us a hurricane. What the heck is that? Oh, that's Elijah in the storm. It looks like a mountain or something, but that's him. Okay. <laughs> well, these are all made up, you know, paintings anyway. I don't think anybody went back in time and photographed Elijah. I would love to, but uh, we don't have that option. You're welcome again. Thanks for staying till the end. <laughs>